For the next five weeks, uh, we're going to talk about um, our vision for spiritual growth. And I want to just give you a little bit of context of, of what this is we're talking about and why we're talking about it. So uh, about 10 years ago, I had a student that needed to get out of a bad situation and into uh, a different school. And so um, we connected him to um, St. Patrick Catholic School in Virginia. And um, when we went to enroll this student there, um, they gave us this document. It's called The Graduate at Graduation. I've been carrying this same copy around for like 10 years, okay? Um, and in it, it's this beautiful description of um, what they expect a student will be who goes through 12 years of their school. Right? And they talk about the life of the mind, what they'll have learned, and the life of the spirit, um, their relationship with God, and uh, the life of relationship and moral judgment, and the life of vocation, and it just covers all this territory. And I thought, boy, that is such an awesome thing to be able to say, hey, if you came here and you invested 12 years of your life uh, in our school, this is what we are trying to produce. This is our vision for you when you graduate. And, and then I started thinking, um, boy, can't we do that for our church? Can't we for our church say, hey, if you're here with your child um, and they grow up in our church, we, we have a sense of where we want them to be and what we want their spiritual life to look like. Uh, and we've always had this, right? We've had it in our minds, um, but, but we actually have like written it down uh, and put a lot of thought and effort into it. Uh, and we're calling it our spiritual roadmap. Uh, and it's, it's really quite simple. It's going to talk about five categories of the spiritual life. Experiences, relationships, biblical knowledge, spiritual habits, and worldview. And um, we, we are suggesting that if a child grew up through our church, this is where we hope they would go. This is our vision for that child by the time they finish their time with us, right? By the time they graduate and leave for college or whatever is the next step for them. Uh, you're going to talk a lot about this, okay? Um, but I want to make two quick points about it. The, the first is we do this in every other area of our life, right? If you get on the swim team, we have expectations of what it means to go from level one to level two to level three in swimming, right? I mean, level one, you got to be able to blow bubbles in the water, and level two is like the thousand meter butterfly or whatever, right? Uh, and we have this for regular school, right? You, you, you go to school and we expect that you're going to learn some science and some history and some math and some English. Um, and, and we can articulate that pretty clearly. I think it's just as important that in the church we articulate where we want our kids to be, what we want them to be growing into. So that's what this is about, okay? Um, the, the second point I want to make about this is, and this isn't just for our kids. It, it's designed with them particularly in mind, um, but we want to suggest that those five categories of the spiritual life, experiences, relationships, biblical knowledge, spiritual habits, and worldview, are relevant for all of us. Uh, and so for you adults over the next five weeks, as we talk through those five categories, I want to ask you to, to maybe even look at this document and say, where am I now and where am I going? Where am I now in, the, in my spiritual life with God and, and where am I going in every one of these categories, right? What's next for me? Uh, and, and I believe uh, this is going to transform how we do children and youth ministry, but I think it really can transform how we do life if we take it seriously. So, uh, this week, we're going to talk about this idea of experiences, right? One of these five spiritual categories, the category of experiences. And, and I want to share um, a, a reading somebody sent me from a deaf doula named Sarah Kerr. And, and just as an aside, if you've had a baby in the not-too-distant past, a, a doula 
is, uh, uh, the word comes from the Greek word doulos, meaning slave or servant, uh, and it's someone who assists you in the birthing process. They're not the midwife, they're not the, the doctor, uh, but they're there just to help you along uh, and make it as, as a special a process for you as possible, right? So we, we're kind of familiar with the, the idea of a birth doula. I, I had never heard of a death doula before, okay? This was a new idea for me. And, and somebody emailed me this quote from this death doula, and her job basically is to help people transition at the end of their life rather than at the, begin, at the beginning. Uh, and so I'm going to read part of what Sarah Kerr says. She says, for an expected death, when someone dies, the first thing to do is nothing. Don't run out and call the nurse. Don't pick up the phone. Take a deep breath and be present to the magnitude of the moment. There's a grace at being at the bedside of someone you love as they make their final transition out of this world. At the moment they take their last breath, there's an incredible sacredness in the space. The veil between the worlds opens. We're so unprepared and untrained in how to deal with death that sometimes a kind of panic response kicks in. They're dead. We knew they were going to die, so their being dead is not a surprise. It's not a problem to be solved. It's very sad, but it's not caused to panic. If anything, their death is caused to take a deep breath, to stop, and to be really present to what's happening. If you're at home, maybe put on the kettle and make a cup of tea. Sit at the bedside and just be present to the experience in the room. What's happening for you? What might be happening for them? Tune in to all the beauty and magic. Pausing gives your soul a chance to adjust, because no matter how prepared we are, a death is still a shock. If we kick right into doing mode and call 911 or call the hospice, we never get a chance to absorb the enormity of the event. Give yourself five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes just to be. You'll never get that time back again if you don't take it now. After that, do the smallest thing you can. Call the one person who needs to be called. Engage whatever systems need to be engaged, but engage them at the very most minimal level. Move really, really, really slowly, because this is a period where it's easy for the body and soul to get separated. Our bodies can gallop forwards, but sometimes our souls haven't caught up. If you have an opportunity to be quiet and be present, take it. You won't get a chance to catch your breath later on. You need to do it now. I think that's really beautiful. Uh, really a beautiful idea of what to do in those moments um, where we expect someone to pass and the expected death happens. And, and as I'm listening to Sarah Kerr and those words, I keep coming back to the words of Psalm 46 where God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Just be with me. Stop doing and just be with me. Experience my presence. Uh, I, I thought about the story of the death doula as we were reading this passage in the Gospel of Luke. And because Jesus is on his way to do a healing, and it turns into something else. And I hope you notice how fast it changed, right? I mean, they were on their way to visit this um, this little girl, and they hear in route that she has died. And by the time they get there, all the doing has started. Right? I mean, people have started um, calling the neighbors, and all of the professional mourners are there, and they're weeping and wailing because in their culture, that's the normal response. That's what you do. 
And Jesus walks in, and instead of being a peaceful moment, there's just this chaos, right? I mean, it's the normal chaos, but it's this chaos. And, and I love what Jesus does in this moment. Uh, first, he, he asks everybody to get out, right? He, he gets rid of the professional mourners, and He gets rid of the people that are weeping and wailing. And He doesn't even bring all the disciples in, right? He just brings in three, Peter and James and John, and the parents, and they go into this room, and I just imagine there's this moment of, of quiet. And then, uh, and one of my favorite stories of all of Scripture, Jesus reaches down into death and brings this little girl back to life. Uh, and, and I love this idea uh, that Jesus recognizes in that moment what everybody needs is some experience of God. Uh, n- notice what He doesn't do. Jesus doesn't make this a big show. He doesn't say, hey, everybody, I'm going to do an amazing miracle. The whole world's going to believe. Just get as many people in the house as possible. No, he says, no, let's make this kind of private. But, but I still think some people need to be here, right? He could have gone into the room by himself and come out and told everybody what happened. He didn't do that, right? He could have snapped his fingers from a distance and healed the little girl. He doesn't do that either, right? He knows that that family and his disciples need the experience of that miracle, the experience of God's presence in a way they never imagined God's presence could work in their life. And, and again and again, this is how Jesus tends to work, right? He, he tends to take His disciples into these incredible encounters with God. He's not interested about them just um, knowing information. He wants them to encounter the, the living God in Himself, Be still and know that I am God. Um, by the way, the, the word know, to, to be still and know in Hebrew, at least in, in that verse and in many others when it talks about knowing God, doesn't mean know like to comprehend information. Uh, it means to encounter someone at an intimate, uh, very personal level. Very often in Scripture, when it talks about uh, the act of having sex, it calls it knowing, right? Uh, he, and he knew his wife and she became pregnant. It's the same word. That's the knowing that God's inviting us into, right? Not know that I'm up there somewhere, um, but know me intimately, know me personally. On Wednesday nights, uh, we just finished a series talking about the, uh, the call to be a spiritual minority. And, and one of those nights, we said part of our job is to invite the church um, back into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Uh, and, and I think really fundamentally to invite the church back to encounter Jesus, I hope you've heard me say this before, but the most impactful sermon I ever heard from a youth leader um, was from my friend Sheila Fife, who said that you can miss heaven by 18 inches. 18 inches is the distance between your head and your heart. And it's possible to miss heaven by just that much, right? I know all about God, but I don't know God. Uh, and, and the invitation for the church is to, to have more than just head knowledge of God, but a heart encounter with the living God who shows up in Jesus Christ. Um, there is this crazy idea in Scripture, uh, this crazy idea in Scripture uh, that God actually wants an encounter with us. God wants us to experience Him. And um, we, we see this in the story of Moses, right, where, where they're having a conversation about God's presence, and Moses says, if, if you're not going to be with us, don't even send, let's just be done with this whole experiment, right? Because the only reason this is going to work, God, is if, if you're with us, if we feel you in our midst, if something is different um, than everywhere else in the world because you're here. 
Uh, today, as you walked in, you should have gotten a little handout um, in addition to your bulletin. And it looks like this. Yeah? Um, and I just would love you to take it out for just a moment. Um, as, as we thought about our spiritual roadmap, this idea of experiencing God was overwhelmingly important for us. Uh, and, and so this is just a breakout of, of this particular topic based on all these different ages. Um, but I just want you to notice something. I want you to notice the first item on every one of those age groups. For babies and toddlers, we hope they'll hear that God loves them. For preschoolers, we hope they'll understand God's love for them. For elementary age students, we hope they'll accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, understand that as a Christian they are a Christ follower. Middle school students, we hope they'll publicly profess their faith in Jesus. That's confirmation or some other way. High school students, we hope they'll regularly recommit their lives to Jesus. It's a really intentional decision for us to place that as an experience. We're not saying we hope that they will believe that Jesus is God. Because he, I mean, there's no merit to that, right? Satan believes Jesus is God too. We're not saying we hope that they will memorize, um, you know, the Apostles' Creed. And we're saying we want them to have an experience of God that leads them into this life-changing commitment and relationship. So, uh, I, I want to just briefly suggest um, some things that help us in that and some things that hinder us in that quest to have an encounter with God at whatever age we might find ourselves. Um, one thing that helps us, this sounds really simple, but it's exactly what Moses does on Mount Sinai, is we ask for it. You, you notice, I mean, Moses quite simply says, hey God, I would like to see your glory, right? I, I want an encounter with you. He's in the middle of a conversation, right? Uh, I, I have never had an audible conversation with God like Moses does, right? Where there's a lot of back and forth. So, he's already having a pretty amazing time with God. And he says, you know what I want? I want more of this. I mean, if I could have anything, God, if you're going to do anything for us, I, I want to see more of you. I want, I, want, I want you to show me your glory. And God says, okay, I mean, you can only handle it so much, um, but I'll give you as much as you can handle. Um, and, and just, the, just the, the, um, the sound of the name of his God is this overwhelmingly joyous, life-changing experience for Moses. Uh, he tastes and he sees that the Lord is good. And, and I think this is overwhelmingly important for us, that God invites us into these encounters um, by the way, we, we can't engineer these. We, we mentioned this in some of the material you've got uh, today about our spiritual roadmap. When it comes to experiences, um, we recognize um, that we cannot engineer experiences, but we can create a space where they happen naturally. From a personal encounter with Jesus to a mission trip or a pilgrimage to a foreign land, these experiences shape our children's lives and our lives. I've shared with you a number of times um, that one of the most impactful experiences for me was uh, as a high school student. My mom and my youth director got together and forced me to go to a week-long camp in Montreat, North Carolina, um, where I think really for the first time I experienced the, the personal nature of God's love for me. Uh, another one of those really dramatically impactful experiences for me uh, came my freshman year of college when I went on my first cross-cultural mission trip. Uh, there was a group of Presbyterian campus ministries um, throughout the, 
the triangle area. So we had people from, from UNC and Duke and Chapel Hill, uh, uh, NC State and Elon and all these schools. And all these Presbyterian students came together and we would do these mission trips around the world. And so this particular time, um, we went to Nuevo Laredo, Texas. And we stayed in a place called Peniel, which I, I had no idea what Peniel meant. Uh, and uh, it was really, I think, a life-changing experience for me. Um, I had never had that encounter of, of living in Christian community and doing the work of the church together every day. We were up, we were doing construction, we were doing vacation Bible school. Um, and, I, and I showed up with largely people I didn't know. I mean, some of them were Tar Heels, for goodness sakes, and yet somehow God still loved them. I don't, you know, the mysteries of God are beyond me. But, um, and, 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 and we had this amazing camaraderie and connection, and every night we'd worship together and talk about our day, and we'd talk about, you know, where we saw God. And every day it was like um, the next day I had more encounters with God, and the next day and the next, it was almost like, um, like there was a lens over my eyes that God was peeling off so I could see how He was at work in the people I was living with and, and the people we were serving and in um, the ministry we were partnering with and in the kids on the street. And I didn't realize until the end of that week uh, that Peniel uh, means the face of God. Right? Uh, it comes from the story of, of Jacob wrestling with the angel. He wrestles with the angel at Peniel, right, where he sees the face of God. Um, but for me, that was an opportunity to see God again and again and again. And, and um, it, was, it was quite literally life-changing for me. And I think it launched me into uh, the the career and the ministry path that God had for me, because I said, I want more of that, right? I want more of that experience of God. So sometimes we can just ask for it, right? We can just place ourselves in a situation where we might encounter God and say, God, I want you to show up. I want to see more of you. Um, there's also a, a, a risk for us, uh, and the risk for us um, is uh, that we would we would satisfy our need for God with something else. Um, I, I, I used to be a, a huge fan of soda, and I, I drank a lot of soda. I mean, I could drink like a two liter of soda in a day, right? Which sounds gross because it is gross, yeah. Um, and, and one of the things I noticed, I would, I would go to a restaurant, right, and I would just get refills of Coke, just, just give me another Coke, keep them coming, because I thought, well, if I'm paying a buck fifty for this fountain drink, I'm going to get my money's worth. And um, one of the things I realized over time was it didn't ever make me stop being thirsty. Right? You had this experience with soda? I mean, and, and it's really designed to not do that, right? I mean, the last thing you want if you're Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whoever drink that really satisfies someone's thirst. You don't want their thirst to be quenched. You want them to want another one. Uh, I, I drink a lot of water now, which is super boring, um, but one glass of water will do it for me, right? I mean, one glass of water and I'm not thirsty anymore instead of four or five, six glasses of soda. Uh, and, and what I realize is there are so many places in our life where we're invited uh, to fill our thirst with soda, uh, yeah, I know that God has created you to need the beauty and the grandeur of His creation uh, and that um, what will quench that thirst is to go out and look at a mountain or a river or, or to go see the ocean or to go watch a sunrise. But sometimes we just go for the soda version of it and we watch some television. Uh, I know that God has designed me for um, the, 
the incredible intimacy that comes from loving relationships with people that I'm in covenant with, but sometimes we just go for the soda version of it, right? And we um, watch TV or go to websites and look at stuff that um, is not of God's will for us because it's fast and it's easy. I know God has designed me for um, the incredible feast of the presence of God. And, and so often in Scripture, God's presence is described as feasts, right? These incredible meals. Uh, and, and I know the, the beauty of, a, of a, a home-cooked meal with family, but sometimes we say, oh, you know, I don't have time for that. Let's just do McDonald's, right? Uh, and so I think this is why Jesus says, I am the living water. I am the bread from heaven. I am the thing that will satisfy you. What you need is more of me. What you need is more of an experience of my life and your life. The experience of God is not something that comes cheaply or casually. Uh, And it's easy for us to say, boy, I want to engineer an encounter with God. We we can't do that. What we can do is say, God, I know that, that what will meet the needs of my heart is your presence in my life. And so, God, please show up, and I will try to make space in my life for you, and I will come to worship on Sunday morning. And when I'm called, um, I will show up in relationship with other Christians, or I will do um, missions to the poor, or I will, uh, whatever it takes, God, because what I need in my life most of all is you. And I believe that God's goodness and His presence shows up to us in those extraordinary moments, the Mount Sinai mountaintop experiences, the mission trips to a foreign country. But it also shows up for us in the moments of our ordinary lives. I had an awesome time with God last night flying home on a plane, listening to worship music and watching the moon over um, the city of Chicago. And I just felt like, holy moly, God, you are amazing. I cannot believe I get to know you and love you. And I believe God shows up in our worst moments. I believe that um, even in the most difficult seasons of our life, we can have an encounter with the presence of God that exceeds um, the most we ever imagined was possible. And I come back again and again to one of our favorite scriptures, Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The experience of God, right? Listen, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Even in the presence of our enemies, right? Even in the worst, darkest moments of our lives, it is not the case that God makes all that go away, right? Um, But God wants to be present with us. If we invite that presence and we say, God, I want more of you, I believe He wants to show up. So I just want to ask you today, um, where are you now and what's next? Where are you now in your encounter and your experience with God? Uh, Do you have a head knowledge of God or a heart knowledge of God? Uh, Do you know about Him or do you know Him? Uh, And if you've never had that life-changing encounter, I want to invite you to say, God, please, if you're really there, show up and let me know it. And if you've had that before, I want to ask you like Moses to say, God, I want more of you. You're the only thing that can quench my thirst. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we are reminded today of the incredible invitation of our Savior Jesus to go with Him uh, into the most extraordinary places, uh, the ordinary moments, uh, and the mountaintops, and even those places of darkness and death. And we thank You, Lord, that even in those moments, the experience of Your presence, the reality of Your love and Your grace is so profound that sometimes we get to see death turn back into life. And every time we are reminded of Your promise of resurrection hope, that the worst the world can throw at us is just uh, a foretaste of the incredible goodness Uh, that will come when your kingdom arrives in its fullness. So, God, we we pray today that you would give us that foretaste of your goodness in every aspect of our life, and we pray that we would have the privilege of tasting and seeing that you are good, of being still and knowing that you are God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.